make yourselves comfortable. Please come in. Yeah. Um, uh, so, one of the things we're going to do today is we're going to go through some of the the suttas, the early Buddhist teachings. Um, but uh, won't be an academic uh, discussion uh, too much. Uh, I hope uh, I'm going to give you a handout in a few minutes because uh, I want you guys to look at some kind of key phrases and and we'll have small groups to kind of discuss things and then then talk as a as a whole group. But f- first, I want to um, talk about. Uh, the, what I call the aspects of loving kindness. Um, to try to clarify what what this practice is, uh, so you know, when we first sort of engage in the practice of metta, which is the Pali word for loving kindness. Pali is the language of the earliest Buddhist teachings and language very similar to Sanskrit and one that very close to what the Buddha spoke as far as we know. Anyway, metta, M-E-T-T-A is the word we translate as loving kindness. And I think primarily it's kind of associated with a feeling. Uh, and that's that's an aspect of it. Uh, you know, it's really a pleasant experience to have a kind of sense of opening the heart, feeling connected to other people, feeling connected to the earth, to the universe, to yourself, um, to all beings. And it's an important part of practice um, because, you know, many of us kind of walk around in this somewhat numb state where we where we don't feel a whole lot. And it's kind of, again, something that I think comes out of our culture, out of, uh, you know, the the speed and intensity of our culture and, the, and, and all the conflict. There's a tendency to kind of close down. Uh, the first retreat that I went on uh, when I was 30, uh, at the end of the retreat, it was the first time I was introduced to a practice of loving kindness, and something really cracked open in me. And and um, the following week, I, I cried every day. And I, I was a thirty-year-old American man. You know that wasn't what I did. I had not cried uh, probably since I'd been a teenager. I don't remember, but it had been a long time. So it was a somewhat of a shock. It wasn't what I was hoping to get out of going on a meditation retreat. I was hoping to get enlightened and have all my problems be fixed. Maybe just transcend it all. Um, But it was the beginning of of learning what this practice is, what the practice of mindfulness and loving kindness is. And, And I realized how shut down I had been. And and despite and even as I was open and feeling these feelings, even though they were difficult to some extent and uncomfortable to some extent, they also felt really important and rich and precious. And it was that kind of realization that if I wanted to be fully alive, I needed to be able to feel the range of emotions. So as I say, that's a, that's a key element of this practice. But there's one essential problem 
if we think of loving kindness as just a feeling, the problem being feelings are impermanent. And we can't hold on to feelings. If we want to just always be walking around with an open heart and always be loving, it just we can't sustain it. And so we're going to get, if, we, if that's what we see as the, as the whole of the practice, we're going to feel a sense of failure when we don't feel it or frustration when we're trying to get it back. So we have to see that that's just a component of the practice. That it, uh, loving kindness also comes with a behavior. So it's not just uh, something we feel inside. It's how we live. It's how we act. So that's what the name living kindness is kind of founded in. This idea that we're going to not just have a feeling of love, but that we're going to actually try to live kindly live with care, live with uh, compassion and forgiveness. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, also, I mean, the Buddha teaches, uh, you know, a very ethical uh, life, a life of non-harming, not, ki- not to kill, not to steal, not to harm people sexually, not to lie or harm people with our words, not to use intoxicants. Those are the five precepts. And this is a foundation of all Buddhist practice. And interestingly, there are a couple of Buddhist scholars that I've studied a lot the last few years. Venerable Analio, he says, moral conduct is an expression of compassion. He says, all physical activity that avoids the harm of others can be seen as an expression of the wish for others to be free from affliction and thus of compassion. And this is really interesting, uh, and I find this uh, inspiring because it means that even if I'm not feeling love and I'm, you know, it's not, I'm not going around smiling at everybody, that if I'm not harming people, just if I'm not harming, it's this the negative, right? If I'm just not harming, then that's actually an act of compassion. Yeah. So uh, I, one of the things that I look for in practice is ways that I'm already practicing or ways that I can practice that don't require me to be some special Buddhist. You know, that just feels like a burden sometimes. Oh, I have to walk around acting really like the, the nice person smiling and being the happiest positive person. I can't be that, you know. But I can be non-harming. And I, I am somewhat of a negative person, so I, maybe I'm drawn to teachings that are ne- that are put in the negative, you know. So uh, Analio then goes on to say about the practice of of the connection here with loving kindness and, and this, the greater uh, teachings that loving kindness are, are connected with are called divine abodes. So there are four elements, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And I'll go into them at some point in the day. But what he says is moral conduct provides an indispensable foundation for successful meditation practice of the divine abodes. So to even do a practice of loving kindness, we kind of have to live in this way. We can't expect to like, be out there kind of living this unethical life and doing destructive things and then come to Spirit Rock and think we're going to have this lovely meditation that's going to make us feel good. 
know, and we're going to somehow just put that all aside. It's all part of one thing. It's all part of living kindness. So there's the feeling of loving kindness, and then there's the behavior of loving kindness, the actions of loving kindness. Then there's the insight of loving kindness. When we do this practice, you know, one of the things that arose for me on that first retreat was realizing what I'm feeling is what the the sense of connection and the the sense of 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 love and compassion. Well, that's connecting me to everyone. Everyone wants this. When we see our own suffering, when we see it clearly, we realize it's not personal. It's one of the things that's so important in our practice. One of the things I was kind of alluding to during the meditation. You have thoughts. Are they your thoughts? Do you own those thoughts? Do you create those thoughts? Not really. You know. I mean, if you... If you really were in control of your thoughts, if they belonged to you, then you'd never have thoughts that you didn't like. Well, wouldn't that be nice? You know? But of course, we all experience these thoughts that you know they're deeply conditioned things that arise. And so, as we start to watch our own minds, we realize everyone has these experiences. Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone struggles with love. Everyone struggles with their own feelings. I'm not separate. So this is the insight of loving kindness that we can carry with us. So even when we're not feeling it, we can remember, oh, you know, everybody, everybody has dukkha, everybody has suffering, everybody wants happiness. Okay, what's, what's my attitude going to be? So that then, of course, brings me to the, the next piece. There's the feeling, there's the behavior, there's the insight. And the attitude of loving kindness is this attitude that comes out of the insight. Oh, everyone suffers, everyone struggles. I should be kind to them. I should have compassion for them. You know, it's, it's, not, I, it's nice. I know a lot of people learn by writing down. I will just tell you that all of this is in the book, so... If anyone is sitting here going, oh, I hope I remember this, uh, it's pretty much, this is kind of what, uh, although I will say this piece is a little different, so you can write this down. <laughs> and and I also, as I said, it's all going to, this is being recorded for Dharma Seed. Anyway, I, um, I know some people learn better writing, so I, I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't write down, but just to let you know if you're worried about missing something. So the attitude of loving kindness, the attitude of compassion comes out of these understandings that, oh, you know, instead of reacting angrily to the person that cuts me off in the freeway, that I can have this attitude of, oh, well, they must be suffering. Like, either they are suffering because they're late for something and they're, maybe they're upset about something, or just the fact that they're driving like a maniac means that they're agitated in some way. They might not even be aware of it, you know. There's people that, you know, tweet like that. (laughs) They aren't even aware of their own suffering. So, those are the 
kind of aspects that I think are important to keep in mind. So that way we don't get caught up in thinking, oh, you know, when I'm having a bad day and I'm not really feeling loving, okay, just if I'm just not a jerk, you know, then, you know, non-jerk, you know, that's, that's an act of loving kindness. So I'm going to I'm going to uh, invite you guys pretty soon to talk but uh in case you're thinking like is this guy going to go on forever I could you know I have that capacity one of my great skills but uh what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you a little bit of this sutta and tell you a little bit about this sutta and then um then I'm going to give you a little handout that's got one of the lines from the sutta that I'm going to ask you guys to, to reflect on. Um, so I just have to... Oh, I have it marked. Finding a use for the old uh, registrations for my car as a bookmark. Uh, so um, this sutta... Uh, many of the suttas have these characters in them that, that uh, were historical characters. Uh, some of them are mythical, but the, these two in this sutta are, are historical characters. King Pasanadi of Kosala. Kosala was one of the little uh, principalities during the time of the Buddha. Uh, and Queen Malika. So they appear in a, in a bunch of suttas. I think they're in two of the suttas that we're going to talk about today. Queen Malika... Um, was a flower girl, just a poor lower caste, although they didn't quite have castes it's the same way that they do today, but it was a poor flower girl who was a great devotee of the Buddha. And although she was not physically beautiful, somewhat plain, her devotion made her beautiful. And one day King Pasanati was going, traveling through, riding through um, Kosla, his kingdom, Savati is the capital. And he sees this flower girl and he stops and, and you know, he's just spellbound by her, this quality in her and he, you know, winds up bringing her to the palace and making her one of his wives, apparently. Some, there's other suttas where they mentioned we hear about another wife. So, uh, but so, so Queen Malika kind of uh, introduces uh, Pasanadi to the Buddha, and and uh, King Pasanadi also becomes a follower of the Buddha. But he's not quite as devoted uh, to the Buddha as Queen Malika. So there are times when you see this little tension between them where he's like, oh, you're always like so, you know, you like the Buddha so much, you know, he's, anything he says is perfect. Uh, th- there's none of that conflict in this. It's a very short sutta. It says, uh, uh, at Savati, and they, the suttas often tell you where the suttas were. So it says, now on that occasion, King Pasanadi of Kosala had gone together with Queen Malika to the upper terrace of the palace. Then King Pasanadi of Kosala said to Queen Malika, is there, Malika, anyone more dear to you than yourself? Now, this always strikes me 
as a yeah, kind of a setup, you know. When the king asks you if there's anyone that, can you think of anyone you find more dear than yourself? Wink, wink. Malika, she doesn't fall for his stuff. And there's no implication of that in the sutta, but I just can't help but, you know, infer that. Maybe that's just a cultural difference. In any case, here's what Queen Malika says. There is no one great king more dear to me than myself. But is there anyone, great king, more dear to you than yourself? For me too, Malika, there is no one more dear than myself. Now, you know, again, in our culture, this can sound sort of odd. That people are just saying, there's nobody that I hold more dear than myself. Well, there's nobody that I hold more dear than myself. So, you know, because we have this culture of sort of false humility uh, or even, you know, worse, you know, self-hatred, self-judgment. Where we think, well, I'm not really, you know, uh, and we don't like ourselves. You know, again, sort of an odd thing. Like, here I am. I don't like me. Like, well, that's rough because like, you're not going to get to be anybody else in this lifetime. So deal with it, you know. What are you going to do about that? But then, so that's why we have therapists. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's all a business model, you know. Then King Pasanadi of Kosala descended from the palace and approached the Blessed One. This is the, how the Buddha is described in the suttas. Having approached, he paid homage to the Blessed One, sat down to one side, and related to the Blessed One his conversation with Queen Malika. Then the Buddha, having understood the meaning of this, on that occasion recited this verse. Having traversed all quarters with the mind, one finds none anywhere dearer than oneself. Likewise, each person holds himself most dear. Hence, one who loves himself should not harm others. So, first of all, you know, I hope you will forgive the gender-specific language of it. But putting, if you can put that aside. Having traversed all quarters with the mind, this is a very kind of uh, typical, like the language of the Buddha. It's basically like, with your mind you've kind of gone out, like that way, that way, that way, and that way, right? You've, got, you've thought about everything, the, the whole world. One finds none anywhere dearer than oneself. So he's agreeing with them, right? Saying that, yeah. But then he takes it one step further. Likewise, each person holds himself most dear. So, yeah, I hold myself, I, I don't find anyone more dear than myself. And it, all of you find yourselves and find that you hold no one more dear than yourself. This is a critical uh, distinction to make. It's not that it says, I hold myself more dear than others. It's that I don't find anyone else more dear than myself, which we could say means that we see everyone is equal, equally dear, right? But then he adds this other thing. Hence, one who loves himself should not harm others. So, this is essentially the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
It's a very logical outgrowth of this teaching. But where I think we find this difficult, and, and the reason I address this, is because the first element of loving-kindness practice, when it's done in a formal way, is giving love to yourself. And many people, at least Western Buddhists, find this to be very difficult, and to be, a, to be somewhat of a struggle. So... What I want to do, I'm going to give you all this little handout. And I'm going to ask you to get into small groups of three or four. And and before I I do this, um, sometimes I work with dyads where people, uh, just one person speaks and another person listens. And we do a very formal sort of mindfulness practice. I'm not going to do that for this exercise. I might do it for one of the later ones, but I want you to really encourage you, even in a small group, to be very mindful of listening to others and very mindful of your own speech. Not, not watching out for saying something, but trying to really see if you can dig deep and open up and, and speak from a, a, a very deep place in yourself. Uh, to not... So it's not just like casual conversation. This is like this is a a, a spiritual exploration, and and uh, and we want to take it as kind of a sacred sacred practice of mindfulness and loving kindness. So, um, would some of the volunteers help out and just pass these around? So this has several quotes from different suttas on the front side and then on the back side is the metta sutta which is the last thing that we'll work with today that's more than enough of those actually could I have one (laughs) thanks so um, so after everyone gets a copy if you could just form into small groups and uh, you know and, and you just you know, sit together, three or four, I think, is, is best. Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to just ask you to um, talk about these lines from the Malika Sutta. Okay? There's people over there. We, are there more? I, I had 50 of them made, and I don't think there's 50 people here. So, Does somebody have a pile of them? Okay, that's really weird. Um, well, yeah, if you could ask um, Christina to make some double. But meanwhile, there's enough that that every group can have some. So uh, that's so. Um, so if you've got one, and there's more, and peop- everybody in your group has one. Could could one of you could you give away one to the group over here and the some of the groups over here that don't have? Them? Okay, and and if there if it's not double sided, then you didn't get the right one. And uh, they're supposed to be double sided. Yeah, this is one altogether, right? 
How did that happen? I must have gotten charged for more um, than I made. That's bizarre. So does every group have copies that you can look at? So, um, so go ahead and just, you know, see what you make of this and how you feel about this and, uh, you know, just d- discuss it together. And we'll do this for about 10 minutes and then uh, we'll talk. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.